Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. So, who's surprised that the preacher's talking about gratitude the, day, the Sunday before Thanksgiving? I promised you guys, and I lied to you, that we're going to do five weeks on marriage. And then as I'm doing the prep... This, this happened, okay? There was a shake in the cosmos. Some of, if you felt a disturbance in the force on Tuesday, I'll tell you what happened. I, I was trying to build the fifth marriage sermon, and, I, and I, I've got the text, and I've got my thoughts, and I go, I think I told him everything I wanted to say. I know, that's never happened before. The, the end of Greg's thoughts. What? <laughs> no way. So I'm like, okay. Let's do gratitude. We've never done an honest-to-goodness, I haven't, preached an honest-to-goodness Thanksgiving sermon. And it is, uh, the scripture is replete with texts telling somebody who loves Jesus Christ, here's how to express gratitude, here's why to express gratitude. Uh, If you are exploring the Christian faith, I hope that this will be a blessing to you. Because when you see what a Christian is grateful for, guess what? You're going to see Jesus. Yeah, that was worth the price of admission right there. We can go home. If you're investigating faith and you figure out what the Christians around you are grateful for, you will see the face of God. Because God is the ultimate answer behind everything a Christian is grateful for. Sounds cheeky, but wait till I unpack this. Okay. Note takers, grab your pen. Thank God each day for his salvation. Let me ask you a horrifying question that we just, we don't like to think about it, but it's necessary. How hard would it be to be grateful if we worshiped a God who was good and he gave blessings in this life, but we had no hope of heaven? If there was no forgiveness of sin and redemption of the soul so that there was an eternity with God that I could look forward to, how odd, weird, or even impossible would it be to celebrate the moment? That's kind of like if somebody told you the future, that you were going to get married to the girl of your dreams and you're going to enjoy five years together and then she was going to leave you. If someone told you that in advance, how hard would it be to enjoy those five years together? When we thank God for temporal blessings, Lord, you healed my cousin, thank you. God, you provided a job to so-and-so. Thank you. God, you woke me up this morning. Thank you. Anybody here happy for your physical life? Happy that your heart is beating, your brains are waving? How small a thing is that when you measure it against heaven and hell? That's small, isn't it? We will fight like a trapped rat for our physical life. And yet Jesus says, you know, that's a, a rather small thing. Why fear men? You should fear God who could throw both body and soul into hell. Where's where's your rightful... Okay, so I would love to, and I did many years ago, preach an entire sermon on Psalm 22. I'm not going to do that today. Here's what you need to know. If you're new to church or if you've been to church just a little bit, you've heard these words before and you didn't know that they were said a thousand years before Jesus. Are you ready for the first line of Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Those of you with a church background, who does that sound like? 
Jesus says that a thousand years later so that we know from the cross that David was prophesying when he wrote these words. This psalm, that's not just a one-off. He says in the psalm, my enemies have surrounded me like a herd of bulls. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all the bones in my body. You cannot, on this side of the cross, look at Psalm 22 and go, wait, right? It's obvious. And for all of the hell that was the cross, at verse 22, the person who's praying and asking for God's deliverance, he pivots and he says this, after all these horrible things, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you amongst the assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. Doesn't that make sense in light of the cross? The one who was crucified is saying, God heard your prayers. Verse 25, I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. To the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him all who are mortal, all whose lives will end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. <laughs> what? I understand. Some of you, if you've not read this passage before, you're not feeling the full emotional weight of it because I didn't read the whole thing. I want you to imagine a story that's darker than dark. It's a rated R horror film for 45 minutes, and all of a sudden it turns into a love story or a rom-com. You're going, how on earth could you turn something so dark into something so beautiful? In the middle, I don't know, the salvation of rebels by the blood of Jesus. That's what. There's a resurrection. There's an empty tomb right in the middle of a psalm. There's a cross and an empty tomb that turns the whole world upside down. And so, get this, guys. This is prophetic of Jesus' words. Jesus just thanked God for saving the church. If we have poor Trinitarian doctrine, we're going to go, well, Jesus died on the cross and gave his life to redeem all who would believe. Is that doctrinally accurate? Say yes. Why would Jesus be thanking the Father for saving rebels like you and me? Because the scripture says it was the Father's plan, it was the Father's love for the world, John 3.16, that he sent to the Son. And the Son gladly submitted to it because there is perfect unity inside a triune God who is love. Doesn't just have love, but is love. If you are not thanking Jesus for saving you from hell, let me tell you something really, 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 really important. I just broke one of the cardinal rules of public speaking. If you repeat the word, you're not creative enough. You and I will walk through our day with a swagger when we forget that he died to wash away our sins. 
It's that simple. If you don't think the flesh is still in there waging war, try to go through half of your day not acknowledging God. It doesn't go well. If I wake up and my first breath, and this is what I'm, I'm trying, I talked with the youth about this a couple Saturdays, Sundays ago, I try to thank Jesus for 20 or 30 things at the beginning of my day waking up, and the first one is always, thank you for washing away my sins. What on earth could I possibly say that would matter after that one if I didn't have that one? It was a man named Louis Zamperini who was flying in World War II. There was a mechanical failure, and his plane falls out of the sky 850 miles south of Hawaii. Eight of the 11 men on board are killed on impact, but three guys are hovering. I forget if they had a raft or a piece of wood or what it was, but they're just floating in the water. One guy died after about 35 days but two guys made it another 10, 12, 13 days after that, and Louis Amperini was one of them. How did they survive? I think it was over 45 days, drifting at sea, fending off shark attacks with an oar. And to get food, when they were about to run out, they had held really still, and a seagull had landed on the wood next to them, and Louis was able to frantically grab, wring the seagull's neck, he took a bone from the seagull to make a hook. He took the intestines of the seagull to make a line and took little parts of the bird's body to use as bait. And they were able to fish and get food that kept them alive until somebody found them. After World War II, and he got detained. There's this whole story about how he suffered in a camp in Japan. But after the war, he, he survives ends up coming to Christ and becomes an evangelist here in the U.S., telling people about Jesus to anybody who will listen. And he let people know when he would share the gospel with folks, he'd let people know that he lived by the sea and that every morning he'd go out, every morning that he was home, he would take some bread with him out to the beach. And when the seagulls came by, He'd take a small piece and throw it straight up in the air so they could catch it. He'd say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Every morning, this was his normal rhythm. Why? That's what prayer is, guys. He's a Christian. He's not praying to the seagulls. Who's he saying thank you to? He has flying around him as he lives by the ocean. He has flying around him as a symbol of his own physical salvation. This is how I didn't starve to death. God, you sent a bird and allowed it to land where I could catch it. And that's the reason I'm alive. Thank God each day, no matter what your circumstances. No matter what your circumstances. Listen to Paul in Colossians 3. 
and let the peace, so there's that and, he's in the middle of a thought, go take a look, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And 75% of the time, be thankful. Oh, I need to update my prescription. And half the time, be thankful if you feel like it. My problem, truthfully, is that I don't know the original Greek. That's my issue, right? When we don't like text, that's when we immediately become Greek scholars and we twist it every which way to make sure it doesn't say what we want it to say. Always. What are the odds that all of our different English translations, they all say always. What are the odds that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Greek scholars got it wrong? But my heart doesn't like that word. That's my problem. (laughs) Guys, if I have to always be grateful, I never get to be the hero. Uh, In 2010 or 11, and this was a a political context, I'm going to take it for a religious one. President Obama said to business owners, you didn't build that. And on the right, that was really inflammatory, blah, 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 because the right loves rugged individualism. We built this all ourselves. His point was talking about the communal context. We pay taxes communally to take care of roads and infrastructure, international trade, a military to protect the whole thing. His point was political. That's neither here nor there for our context here. But what it does um, speak to us, what is important, is that uh, there is a context Gratitude reveals that there's a context behind my life circumstances. If everything I'm experiencing is just what I have achieved individually, then I, I'm self-righteous. I don't have to look at God provided, God allowed me to be born. God allowed me to be born to parents who knew and loved Jesus. You want to talk about five steps ahead? God allowed me to be in church growing up. God allowed me to be born in a country where we have freedom of religion. God allowed and provided. There's a context to whatever has or has not happened in my life, separate from my own individual choices. That context, brothers and sisters, ought to make us grateful. When you look at the Christian life, well-lived, when you, when you go to a great funeral, somebody who put in 80 years serving the Savior, and their, their family is around to say, man, he or she was not perfect, but boy, did they love Jesus and they loved us. You, you, you put in your years and you did it well. That person who is now in the presence of the Father, there's no way they want us to sit here and just glorify them as if there wasn't a God-given context to their life. Once you close your eyes on this side of eternity and you open your eyes over there, you will never have been in a place more where you had a relatively low view of yourself and an amazing view of the glory of Christ because you're staring him in the face. The context matters. Gratitude reminds us of the context. Kobe Bryant spent at least the middle 10 years of his career before the rise of LeBron. Kobe, Kobe had to struggle. 
Do you ever get to say Kobe is the greatest? It's hard because Jordan is still playing at the beginning of his career, and then LeBron. I know a bunch of you are not with me right now, but here's the point. <laughs> Look, this is really tough for some of us, okay? Like, what do you wrestle? What are lazy boys for except to sit down with the guys and fight over who was the greatest? Anyway. Had Kobe been born at a different time, we probably wouldn't even be having this conversation. He could have been the greatest of his era on his own. But what was amazing about Kobe, uh, he, he said famously in an interview, he was about 10 or 12 years into a 20-year career, and a sports reporter asked him, hey, you're probably the best basketball player on planet Earth. Why are you getting up at 3.30 in the morning to practice? Right? A lady in the back just fainted. 3.30 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You're already at the top. You're already paid millions of dollars. You already have several championship rings. Why are you getting up at 3.30 in the morning? And he flipped it, and he said, um, I wouldn't have had any of those things if I hadn't got up at 3.30 in the morning. And he famously said in that interview, it was awesome, he said, when you're playing against Michael Jordan, you're not playing against his body, you're playing against his brain. He outthought everybody, and that's why he was the best. He said, I'm not as smart as Michael, all I can do is hustle. He says, my entire career is hustle. I'm going to work and work and work, and I don't have any other tools in my tool belt. I'm going to work and work and work. What if, what if, brothers and sisters, gratitude was a muscle? What if we really, in our bones, believed that gratitude was a muscle and that was good for us spiritually? Our spiritual health, emotional health, mental health, we're all, I don't have time for stats, but let me tell you, there are stats. Mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual health all tied to gratitude. Why? Without gratitude, I essentially have to be a narcissist. I have to be the center of the universe. I am the reason I achieved anything in life without acknowledging that something or someone blessed me, equipped me, something. Kobe didn't just look at himself and go, I'm the best. He said, There's all kinds of, there are all kinds of things around me. And he talked about coaching, and he talked about effort, and he said, no, it wasn't easy. And he was really quite humble in the grand scheme of things. He knew that there was a context and his circumstances, you know, he'd get a cold, and you know when he woke up? 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> right? Trying to get that championship. When does he wake up? 3.30 in the morning. Already has the championship. When does he wake up? 3.30 in the morning. Oh. <sighs> what if I decided... I'm going to thank God every day, whether things are going great or things are going terrible, I'm going to thank him. Is it possible that gratitude could be one of the keys toward a spiritual life that is truly vibrant, where hell doesn't know what to do with you? Because, I mean, what did Satan throw at Job? The loss of all of his kids in one moment? And can Satan defeat Job? Apparently not. I came into this world naked. I'm going to leave this world naked. 
The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Huh? You're thanking God for... How easy through secular eyes is it to look at a Job and say, Job, you have nothing. Your kids are dead. Your entire future is dead. Your wealth is gone. Your wife is telling you to curse God and die. Job, you have nothing left. That's what secular eyes would say. And Job is sitting here going, my Redeemer lives. <laughs> it doesn't mean it didn't hurt like hell. But what he said was true all the way throughout. It's what our soul needs. The Lord woke me up this morning. He's washed me of my sins. He hears my prayers. Are you kidding me? I'm blessed. I want to encourage you to pair requests and thanksgiving in order to find deep-seated peace. Pair these two things together, requests and thanksgiving. Who here will testify? Humility moment. Who here will raise a hand and say it's way easier to ask God for stuff than Thanksgiving? Three honest people in the whole church. Oh boy, are we in trouble. If asking for stuff doesn't come easier to you, you're not human. And yet, our text earlier, look at this. Tell, this is the second sentence. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. One sounds like a present tense, and the other sounds like a past tense. Are you with me? With an and. And especially the more you read Paul, you realize that and, you can almost take it away sometimes. Paul's flow of thought is, is like a diarrhea of the mouth. He'll put three or four thoughts together, and the more you study it, you realize this was all stream of consciousness. These ideas are highly related in Paul's mind. Tell God what you need, but in that same breath, thank him for all he has done. This is what a healthy prayer life looks like as it relates to gratitude. Guys, when we thank God for what he's already done, does that invalidate the fact that I'm in a crisis right now? No. I'm still allowed to be human. I can still be mortal. I can still have needs. And the tomb can be empty. I had a chaplain look at me funny 17 months ago in a Kaiser hospital. I'd been told earlier that day that I had cancer. He comes in and we chat, talk just for a couple of minutes, and he looks at me and says, Greg, I've been doing this for 19 years and I've never heard somebody say that. And I said, which part? Because I'm thinking, I'm like, Come on. I, I gave the response of a Christian. There, there have been Christians in here getting cancer diagnosis. Like, what do you mean never? He said, I've heard a lot of things, but I've never heard somebody say, I just want a daddy for my babies that'll point them toward Jesus. Like, I was hoping I was plan A. <laughs> but the negotiable, because this is where the Lord takes you when he shows you the value of life and the value of salvation, me living or dying, whatever. And that is not to make it small, but it is small compared with what? I want my babies to know Jesus. 
Yeah, I've told you, that is the number one prayer request of this church as per what you guys wrote on the sticky notes back at Easter and put on the cross. We've got babies that are my age. You guys have babies that are my age that are not following Jesus right now. It's your number one prayer request and I'm with you. I'm with you. I am in need. I am in crisis. I need God to do something now. And that cross was bloodied and that tomb was emptied and those are not in contradiction in the least. And they can pour out of my mouth in the same breath. So guys, I'm going to tell you practically what this means. Thanksgiving isn't ruined by crisis. It's not. I can have an entire holiday, let alone how it informs the other 52 weeks. I can have an entire holiday thanking God for the goodness in the midst of the storm and in the midst of the pain. The command toward gratitude doesn't tell us to smile and pretend when it comes to pain, does it? It's just Jesus sees it all. His shoulders are big enough to bear all the weight of it. You can thank me for what I've already done and you can still ask me for what you need me to do next. Those go together. And what does the text say? That's how we find peace. And he's talking to Christians, mind you. So it's not just Romans 5, 1, peace with God, you're no longer at war with God. He's saying to Christians, hey, you can have the Holy Spirit and still not live, you're still living a life dominated by worry, even though you don't have to. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You want peace? Keep asking me for stuff and keep thanking me and praising me for what I've already done. He gave us an A plus B equals C to find peace of the soul and of the mind and of the emotions. Requests and thanksgiving. Here's, these are Greg's words, so hold this very loosely. Here's, here's how I think God is saying it. Ask me for what you need and thank me for what you have. Here's how the world says it. Ask Amazon for what you want. Thank the universe for what you have. You want it? Tap once, maybe twice. And if you haven't heard people thanking the universe, yikes, because I'm not joking about that one. Very, very weird to thank I mean, it's funny how paganism, we think paganism is really, really old. We think, oh, we built temples 3,000 years ago where people pray, play, prayed to the stars, and then in our scientific wisdom, we eventually came to a place where we realized that is a ball of exploding hydrogen. Billions and billions of miles away, because Pumbaa told us. Millennials are with me. We learned it was exploding hydrogen, and so now, since because we've got this scientific knowledge, we're so smart, and people to this day are still, they're looping back around. They're not just hugging trees, they're praying to them. What? These things are very, very old, and they keep coming back around, don't they? Thanking the universe. Which part? Are you thinking dark matter? Are you thinking a, a, a star right now? What are you... But people say this out loud in, in mixed company. They say this stuff, and it is an attempt to get the, the psychological and emotional benefits of gratitude. There's so many gratitude books in the business space right now, and it is weird when you say things like, thank my lucky stars. Thank who? Thank what? Build out the rest of your worldview. We don't want to, though, because we want Santa to leave stuff. We don't want relationship with the gift giver. Fourth, thankfulness is a clear indicator of Christian maturity. 
It's a clear indicator of Christian maturity. I'm going to turn to Colossians 2 real quick and read this one to you guys. Paul says this to Christians, let your roots grow down into him, meaning Christ, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with what? Who knows that one? Thankfulness. Thankfulness is the result of, let's use John 15 language, abiding in Christ. You're going to let all the roots of your life be built down into and onto. Paul mixes the metaphors. Don't look at me. He says roots and foundation in the same breath. Let your roots grow down into the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to make you a thankful person. He's going to make me a thankful person. And that is an indicator of maturity. This whole text is about maturity. I feel like somebody somewhere has talked about growing in Christian maturity. How do we know that we're getting all the right nutrients into our body? How do we know that we're growing? How do we know that we're getting stronger? How do I know that I'm serving the world better? Is that the marker? I'm cussing less? Is that the marker? I read my Bible more? Is that the marker? I give more to the church? Is that the marker? There are plenty, but this is one of them. Oh, I did have the slide. I'm silly. Here's my games. A couple years ago, this is at uh, Abel's Acres. Is Gabe's maturing? I don't know how on earth any of you just said yes. It's very clear. Just watch. He's not getting any taller. He, it's a static image. It's not a video. He's the exact same height he was as 20 seconds ago when I put that picture up. And that is what a microwave culture will do to you. You're committing the exact same sin as you did 30 days ago and you think God's not working in your life because you're used to tapping twice to get what you want. Jesus, I've already laid this down. Jesus, I've already confessed this. Jesus, I already swore on a stack of King James Bibles that I would never say that again. And I did it again. And Satan loves to whisper in your ear, you're not a real Christian. Christians are supposed to have victory and you did it again. You don't love Jesus. So let me say out loud what we all know. The words this fall are very important. Abel's Acres it wants you to come each fall and make sure to stop by Abel's Acres on your tour of the sugary awesomeness. I'm sorry, what is it called? Apple Hill. They're expecting you to put your kid in front of this thing once a year. If you use the measuring stick the way it's designed, are you going to see a child that's growing? Yeah, there'd be something very medically dangerous going on if a kid could go 12 entire months without moving a single inch, right? Gratitude is part of what tells a Christian Jesus is working on you. He is working in you. The Holy Spirit is gaining the victory. You are maturing. You're growing up. Gratitude is one of many measuring sticks. It's not the only one. 
But it is, because Paul said so, and he doesn't lie. We don't have a lot of time left, but let's get back to Revelation, land this plane. Thank Jesus each morning for a bright future filled with hope, justice, and glory. Fifteen through eighteen again. Then the angel blew the trumpet, seventh angel blew the trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty four elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and worshipped him. And they said, We give thanks to you, Lord God the Almighty, the one who is and who always was. For now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name from the least to the greatest. It is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. It is super, super popular nowadays to want Jesus to be really, really nice but that last verse put us in a conundrum because it used the same word twice. You are worthy because you have destroyed, that doesn't sound like a nice Jesus, those who have brought destruction on the earth. Jesus is not the first century's greatest ethical teacher. He's watching every drop of every war. He sees every rape and murder. He is angry at every drop of rebellion against his Father's glory. And we want him, when we're the aggrieved party, we want him to come in guns blazing. Anybody remember two of his apostles saying, Lord, should we call down fire on them now? You're in good company when you feel that way. You see something and you just know that that is evil and you want God to smash them. And you and I are so frustrated that God is so patient. We want him to be patient with us. But Vladimir Putin, that guy's a jerk. That's what the sons of thunder did. They couldn't see their own depravity in the moment. They're just ready for Jesus to blast the other guys. This is where arrogant, self-righteous Christians come from. We forget the gospel. Too busy trying to do good stuff, not knowing that we've already become good, inherited by the blood of Jesus. That God looks at Greg Kaiser as if he is sinless. This is where you can openly burst into laughter. But spiritually, that's where I stand in the heavenly places. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. His cross made me who and what I am. Same with you if you love him. The cross is all about justice. You see, I owed something to Jesus. I owed something to God I could, that I could not possibly have repaid. So when we know that the Jesus that we like to keep envisioning him, standing next to a sheep, petting it, when he goes to that cross, he cares deeply about justice. 
God will be vindicated. Wrong will be dealt with. And we see at the end of the book, he's going to destroy everyone who has brought destruction in the world. And when we're the sinner, that terrifies us because I know I've unleashed destruction. When I'm the aggrieved party and somebody has sinned against me, I'm going, okay, so there is a judge. Didn't God say, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord? He's going to sort things out. And particularly if you're investigating Christianity right now, I need you to know that Jesus of the Bible cares so deeply about right and wrong. Where we get hung up is we keep trying to tell him what is right and what is wrong. That's where we get hung up. And then we get hung up on his patience. We don't like him being patient. If you're investigating faith, here's what I want to implore you to do. Find an answer to injustice in the world. Your heart's already yearning for it. You get angry, you get sad, you get hopeless. Wrestle with your worldview, please. I'm a Christian pastor, so obviously I believe Jesus is the answer you're going to find in here. But one way or the other, find out your answer for injustice and then worship your answer. Worship your answer. Don't make it a small piece of your worldview. If you find something that can roll back tears and darkness and pain and death, if you can find that, worship it because it's ultimate. Does it make sense? You didn't find a cute idea. Secular humanism hasn't gotten us there. Thinking that human beings are going to be the answer, that got really popular. All the progressive, it wasn't a political term back then, it was a philosophical term. Around the turn of the 20th century, 1900s, 1910s, the, state, the, the World's Fair, humanity's going to solve our problems, it's going to be awesome, technology, we're going to think our way into this, and it's going to be amazing. In 1945, we decide to split the atom so we can incinerate civilians. And post-modernity was born, where we stopped and go, wait, the smarter we get, the faster we kill. That is World War II and World War I put next to each other. The smarter we get, the faster we kill. Maybe humanism isn't going to work. Whatever your answer is for the injustice and brokenness of the world, I want to encourage you to fall on your face and make it the ultimate thing in your universe. Because it's far bigger than you if you find it. And it might be a person. Lord Jesus, we need you so much. Lord Jesus, we confess that our hearts are not grateful often enough, and we ask you to take us there. God, maybe we have never thanked you before for anything because we don't know you yet. God, reveal yourself to us. God, take this church family to a place of deep and daily gratitude rhythms that are good for the soul, that mature us and grow us. Make us a people that every single morning tosses up little prayers before your face saying thank you, thank you, thank you.
the saving name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. Greg, you were going to do us all. <gasps> You're not allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> we're going to do a song.
Set for hearts singing hallelujah, hallelujah. So I throw up my hands, praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I'm nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah, Praise you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Don't forget to thank Jesus for everything. <clears throat>